want to start a brand new series today called It's Not About You. All right, everybody, you can already start to think of what this series is about. But before I jump into part one of It's Not About You, I have a special something I want to present to you that has nothing to do with the series. And that is this morning as I was leaving my house, uh, I get here a little bit early with the team before everything starts. We kind of get everything set up and done. But as I was leaving my house, my daughter Hava, who's three years old now, come on somebody, I'm getting old because my youngest is now three, she came up to me and she said, Dad, I made this, and she calls me Papa, she said, I made this for you to decorate your sermon. And I didn't really know what that meant, but then she handed me these, everybody, and so... I want to show off what my daughter Hava colored for me this morning. And I don't care what you think about that. All right, everybody. And so these will now decorate my sermon. And so if you don't smile at me, no, I don't care. Because I got things up here smiling at me up on this one. All right, everybody. And so those are going right there. And so I don't care. What you say about that, I just wanted to share that with you. But we're in part one of this series called It's Not About You. And I thought about joking with you and saying, it's not about you, it's about me, everybody. But it's not about me either. Part one of this series, I want this series to be a few weeks where we step back and we start to align ourselves with the heart of God. That we start to align ourselves with our creator, with our God. We start to align ourselves with his heart. Jesus Christ came to serve and to love others and to lift others and to save us from our sins. And to make things right with us and God. And so I want to just begin this series talking about how we can become aware that this life is not about us. That this life, honestly, is not even about this life. And so I want to spend several weeks talking about the simple fact that it's not about you. That it's not about you. Because the truth is, we live in a culture, we live in a day and age where it's very common, or honestly, it's very, it's very honestly pressured to make life about you. If we're truthful about the culture that we live in, about even the country that we live in, oftentimes things are structured to make life about yourself. Things about our culture are structured to make life. And it's natural for all of us that we're born into a selfish perspective. We're born into a culture that tries to make everything about getting what's yours and understanding and trying to think about what selfish reasons we could have and motives we could have for making life about ourselves. And yet that's not what the gospel is all about. That's not what the gospel, it's not what Jesus came to bring. And while this problem has crept into the church and it's crept into our culture as a whole, it's not a new problem. It's a problem that's been around since, ever since the Bible was being written and even before. And so watch, I'll show you in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he's writing this letter to them about joy and about how they, can, how they can take joy even in circumstances and all these things. But in chapter 3 and verse 20, he starts to have this different shift to the way that he's writing. But watch, we'll start in verse 18. For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again. So this is not a new thing for Paul, all right? He's kind of not passive aggressive, but he's kind of just saying, Hey, I've told you this many, many times. And this time even he's brokenhearted. Even with tears... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now listen to me, everybody. He's not talking about the world. He's speaking about those who call themselves Christians. And he says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And watch this. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. One of the tragedies that happens in this Christian journey is somewhere along the way, the devil starts to work on us to get us back into an earthly mindset. 
He starts to try to get us back into an earthly focus. Because I'm convinced, and Nick preached this on Wednesday night of this week, of the prayer nights. If you don't watch those, I encourage you, join us Wednesday nights with prayer at 6 o'clock. But he preached this, and I'm convinced of this, that if the devil can't destroy you, he will distract you. That if he can't destroy your life, he will distract you. Because one of the ways to make Christians ineffective is not necessarily to try to get them to throw out God and everything else, just completely let go of their Christian faith. Because anyone who's had a real relationship with God won't do that. But one of the ways that the devil works is to try to get you otherwise distracted. To get your eyes off of Jesus and onto earthly things, off of heavenly focus and onto earthly focus. Take your eyes off of the call and get it onto the life around you. And if he can do that, then he can make you ineffective for the kingdom and for eternity. He can make you ineffective for the things that we're supposed to be doing. Getting to the place that our stomach becomes our God, that we're pursuing just the passions and the things that we desire. The things that make us feel good and the things that nourish us and the things that we think are fun. And all these things that he gets us our eyes off of eternity. And Paul reminds us in verse 20 as we continue that we get our eyes off of that. He says in our citizenship. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not on earth, everybody. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I want you to notice here a couple of things with me about this passage. He's saying our citizenship is in heaven. Not will be, not could be, not should be, maybe in some future time, in some other life. And not in some, he's saying our citizenship right now is in heaven. That we are citizens of another place and we should live like it. That we are citizens of heaven. And so it's not some great grandiose turnover of your passport at the end of your life and at the customs and declaration of heaven, right? That you suddenly become a citizen. No, when you gave your life to Christ, you became a citizen of heaven. And Paul is saying we get our eyes off of these earthly things. He's writing to this church in Philippi, get our eyes off of these earthly things and we are citizens of heaven. Now, Philippi had a unique culture and just stop me if it sounds familiar to some of you. But Philippi were citizens of Rome. The Philippians were citizens of Rome. And so along with that citizenship came a lot of blessings and a lot of things that some of the other churches Paul wrote to did not have. And so he's writing to them with the knowledge that he has of how they were founded, of their city's prominence in the province of Rome where they were. He's writing to them with that understanding. And Paul is saying, I know what that means to you. I know that citizenship in Rome means a lot of things to you in Philippi. It means protection and prosperity. I know it means rights that you hold dear and freedoms that you have. I understand all of that. But Paul is writing to them, able to do so because Paul is also a Roman citizen. And he writes to them saying, we don't count any of those things as great. We don't count any of those things as what we need in this Christian life. No, our eyes are not on earthly things. Our eyes are on heaven. That our eyes are on our citizenship that we have there. And that is how we should live our lives. That that is the citizens that we are of heaven. And so Paul writes to them knowing, I know how much you value this. I know how much you, you value that citizenship that you have. But he's saying all of that is not what we focus on. All of that is not what we place our trust in our eyes upon. He says we're citizens of heaven. That we are citizens of another place. That we're just passing through. That this earth is not our home and we should live like it. We're citizens of heaven. And so Paul is saying don't get stuck on the here and the now. And we should eagerly be awaiting a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. And Paul is writing to Philippi. Don't forfeit heaven for Rome. Never forfeit the citizenship that we have in heaven for anything on this earth. 
Never focus your eyes on anything on this earth, that we are citizens of another place. And so we should live with a different perspective. We live with this anticipation that Jesus Christ is returning. That we live with the anticipation that our Savior is coming back. And it's an important shift in our perspective. It's an important change we need to make because so many of us, unfortunately, live our lives with our eyes and our focus somewhere else. So many of us, even in this culture and in this time that we're living, have taken our eyes off of where we're going and placed them on where we are. We focus on the things around you. And the truth is, God's never called us to live that way. First blank for your notes today, everybody. It's not about you. It's about eternity. The first thought of this series that I want to get across today is it's not about you. It's about eternity. That I want to embrace this series is that this life is not about this life. It's actually about the life after this one. And so often this can get confused in the way that we live our lives. It can get confused sometimes in the way that we're, we're using our energies and our focus and our destiny. And it gets confused in our own minds. And so today I just want to clarify a few things because this other life is approaching quickly. Probably more quickly than you can imagine. And so we have to begin to change our focus, change our perspective, live for heaven. And yet there's so much pull to make earth our home, to stay focused on earth, to try to make earth work out perfectly, to try to let earth solve all of our problems, to try to let earth be all that we need. And there's a pull to that. And I understand that there's a pull in this, this almost gravitational pull inside of us that tries to get our focus on earthly things. And honestly, I think it's because we, even as Christians, have a bad idea of what eternity and what heaven will be like. I think sometimes we've been given some bad information about what heaven is actually like. And so if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest, we're kind of unsure. And so then if we're further honest with ourselves, we want to make this earth thing last as long as we possibly can because we're so unsure about what is to come. Because most of us think we're just going to be fat little naked babies, right, floating around on clouds with this endless church service and we're all playing harps. That's hell, everybody, all right? That's, that's, not, that's not heaven. That's not anything I want to do for all eternity. And so I think we've been given some bad information about what it's actually like. The Bible's pretty clear about what heaven is like. It's pretty good about explaining what is to come. And I'm telling you, it's a whole lot better than what most of us realize. The citizenship we have is a whole lot better than what most of us realize. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1, and throughout this chapter, John is describing the vision he has of the heaven. But he says, a new heaven and a new earth for the first one of heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so listen to me, everybody. All of this is going to pass away one day. All of this is going to go. This rock that we cling to with all of our might is going to burn one day. It's all going to pass away. And he says a new heaven and a new earth that God is building. And there'll be a new heaven. It's going to be a lot different than what most of us believe or honestly what most of us realize. And I promise you it will be something that we want to be a part of. It will be something that we are so incredibly honored to be welcomed into. That it is something that we want to do. And so all these images of heaven that people try to throw out that are this terrible, awful thing, this experience, that's not what heaven is. Heaven, we want to be a part of it. That we eagerly await our Savior from there. In fact, I want to give you a couple of things to jot down just to change our perspective a little bit. Because I think if we get the right perspective of eternity, we'll live our lives with the right focus today. I think if we get the right perspective of where we are actually going, that we'll live our lives in the correct way while we're on earth. If you're taking notes today, jot it down. The first one, heaven, first of all, is a real place. 
Heaven is an actual, real, physical place. Heaven is not some consciousness that we will somehow attain by just thinking the right thoughts. Heaven is not some far-off, just ethereal type of thing that we will somehow float to. Heaven is a real place, a city that God is building. And Revelation describes the city that he's building It's an actual physical city. Revelation 21, verse 16, it says, John has this vision of what it will be like. It says, the walls have 12 foundations. On them were the names of the apostles. So there are physical foundations. And then he goes on and describes all of heaven. He describes the stones that will be used in the buildings. He describes the gates and the walls. He describes all these things. Heaven is a physical location that God is building. It's an actual place, a real place that we will go. Now, there are things we don't know about heaven. Like, we don't know why it needs gates made out of pearl. We don't understand why it even needs walls and gates to begin with. Like, is heaven in a bad neighborhood or something? We don't, we don't know some of those things. But we do know that God is building. We don't have to worry about all of those things. But we know that it is a real place. And its builder is God. Its architect is the Lord. We know that heaven is a real place. Second thing I want you to see, jot it down if you're taking notes. Heaven not only is real, it's a place that's perfect. Heaven is a perfect place. The Bible talks about heaven that it literally, it may look and feel in some way similar to the life we live now, but without all of the problems, without all the drawbacks of this life, without all of the pain and the confusion and all the things that make this life so hard to live. Heaven is a perfect place. In Revelation 21, in verse 4, he says he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. That there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Listen to everybody. This life is the old order. This life with all its dysfunctions and its pain and its tears. This is the old order. It says that will pass away. He'll wipe every tear away. That heaven is a perfect place. That it's not only a real place that we're going, but it's a perfect place. That all of these things that draw all these drawbacks, these disappointments, all of that will be gone in this perfect place. We'll be reunited with our loved ones. That we'll get along this time. Come on, somebody. We'll, have, we'll be reunited with those around us. That it will be this perfect place that we're heading towards. No more sickness. No more pain. The Bible goes on to say that they'll have these glorified bodies. Watch this in verse 5. He says that he'll raise them up and give them glorified bodies. That we'll have these bodies. We'll be recognizable in some way. We don't really understand how. But then we'll have perfect bodies that don't have all the drawbacks and the decay of the bodies that we're in. Come on, somebody. Say amen to that. Which makes me excited for a whole lot of us. All right, everybody? Because if you've ever had lower back pain, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this is an incredible, incredible promise of heaven. You never meet anybody, right, that can say, I used to have back pain. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. In heaven, we can say that. In heaven, I'll be able to say, it'll be a place we want to live a place without all of the problems a place where everything is perfect come on somebody the Krispy Kreme light is always on in heaven come on that's in the message translation I don't know if you've ever if you read that that's what happened it's heaven is a perfect place which means everybody there's no cats there come on there's no cats in heaven maybe in your heaven not in my heaven there's no, there's no dogs all dogs go to heaven there'll be a lot of dogs there except for one dog they used to bark outside my dorm at 4 a.m. when I lived in Tennessee before finals every single semester. He would bark and bark. And so if prayer works at all, everybody, I have joined my faith with heaven and sent that dog to hell. All right, everybody, that's just that one won't be there. All right. So heaven, though, is a perfect place. Heaven's a perfect place. It's where we are living for all eternity. Somewhere we want to live where everything is perfect in love with Jesus, with our Savior for all eternity. Heaven's a perfect place. The last thing that really impacts this life, jot it down if you're taking notes, it's a rewarding place. Heavens are rewarding. I love the writings of the Apostle Paul because he, 
He was a competitive athlete. He goes to the game so often. And so he writes about he writes about sports metaphors and he writes about running the race that we live and about boxing and about all these different things. But he writes about how we should run the race that we're called to live. He says, run to win. He doesn't say just run in some awkward, mamby-pamby way. No, he says run in order to win. And we learned last week that that doesn't mean beating everyone around you. That's pride, everybody. He means run with the potential God has placed in you, that there is a goal to reach, a prize to claim. So he says run to win. And I just want you to know heaven is a rewarding place. Revelation 22, it says Jesus is talking. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to each person. I love this about it. Not only does God have a reward, like God actually has a reward. So we need to be winners, everybody. I just don't know if you know that. There's no participation trophy. All right, everybody. That's not what you're getting in heaven. So just throw all of those away. But Jesus says, I'm coming. And not only is he so excited to give you the reward, he says, I can't even wait. I'm not even leaving the trophies. I'm bringing them with me. So Jesus is coming back and he says, I'm bringing my reward with me to give to each person according to what they have done. That he's so excited to give that reward that heaven is a rewarding place, that there's a reward on the other side of this life. There's a reward for the things that we've done in this life for the kingdom. Jesus said, if anyone gives up something for the kingdom, he'll be rewarded not only in this life, but in the life to come. That that's the reward that we're striving for, that when we get there, we hear our Savior say, well done. That's what we're going for. Now, for all eternity, you enjoy the rewards of the things that we've done. That heaven is a rewarding place. But I just want to remind you that this life that we live now, these short moments we have on this earth, this vapor that we are living, these moments are deciding what that eternity will look like. They're deciding what that reward is. They're deciding where you will spend eternity. All these things, this life that we're living now, the decisions that we make, We'll decide what eternity will look like. And if we live with that reality, I believe that we'll change our day-to-day lives. If we live with that reality, with that anticipation, with that, with that just speed of living, if we live with that idea that Jesus is returning, it will change the way that we live. It'll change what we focus on. It'll change the way that we spend our days. It'll change the way that we spend our resources. It will change everything about our lives. Titus says it this way, chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living. Saying the grace of God has been revealed, and so now we turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. And so he's saying, don't be like the world. We're living in the world, but we're not of it. We're living around these things, but that's not who we are. Our focus is not on earthly things. And so we should live with righteousness. We should live a pure life. But he's saying in anticipation, watch this in the next verse. He says, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So he says we put aside these sinful pleasures. And that word sinful doesn't even necessarily mean wrong. It just means missing the mark. And so there are some things that some of us, myself included, are wrapped up in. We're wrapped up in these things, but it's not, not specifically wrong. It's not evil. It's just missing the mark. It's the wrong focus. And so some of these things that someone else probably could do, that for me it is sin because it's keeping me for what God has called me to do. You get that? It's keeping me from the thing he's called me to focus on. And so it's a sinful desire. That in and of itself, it's just a random thing, but because it's keeping me from what God has called me to do, it's a sinful desire. 
It's kept me from what I need to be focused on. So he says, turn from Godful living and focus on the right things. God's saying, stop making life all about your own selfish pleasure. Stop, stop focusing on earthly things. Stop doing all of that. Because in light of that, we look forward with anticipation to the hope of the day that Jesus returns. We live our lives with that anticipation. We live our lives with that hope. Well, how do we do that? How do we put our efforts towards the right things? What changes would we need to make? What changes do we need to make in our day-to-day lives? And I want this to be as practical as possible. Something you can put into place this week. Something we can begin to live as a church, as a culture. Something we can begin to show in our own personal lives that we are focusing on where we're going, not where we are. I'll give you a couple of keys that will help us to shift our hearts in the right place. Jot it down if you're taking notes. The first thing we need to do is refocus our energy. First thing that we need to begin to do as Christians is refocus the energy that we've been given. Because I don't know about you, if you've ever run around with small children, your kids running around playing on the playground, you have finite energy. All right, everybody. I didn't think about that until I had kids, but there is a finite amount of energy in each day that we have to spend on the things that are most important. And if we waste them on all the other things, we have nothing left for what's actually important, what actually matters. And so we need to refocus our energies. We need to put our energy towards and leverage everything that we have towards eternity. Now, it's okay that you're a normal human, all right, everybody? It's okay that you have normal activities, that you eat food, that you do things involved in activities, that you own things. It's okay that you're a normal person. I'm saying let's leverage everything we have for the kingdom. That we don't just, just give up everything and then just not talk to anybody ever again and lock ourselves in a monastery somewhere in the far north. That's not what I'm saying, everybody. But I'm saying that in the midst of our lives, let's refocus everything that we've been given, every blessing that we have, Let's refocus and leverage it for eternity, for the kingdom. One of the most misunderstood, I think, pitfalls in kingdom living today is this idea that only if you have a bunch of money can money corrupt you. That only if you somehow become rich one day, that's the only way that money will have any corruption. Now, I've met a lot of poor people who are enslaved to money the same way as rich people. I've met a lot of people who are enslaved to the stuff of this life in the same way that the rich are in the same way. And I've met a lot of rich people who realize the blessing that's been placed on their life to be a blessing to others. That I've seen in those things. But I'm just saying today, I'm not saying don't ever buy another thing, everybody. I'm saying let's leverage everything we have for the kingdom. Let's realize the blessings that we have. Let's realize the place that we've been placed. Let's realize the mission field that's around us. And let's leverage everything for the kingdom. Because I think we've fallen into this trap that it's some mystical dollar amount before it'll ever endanger our life. That God wants me to have a 32-inch TV and not a 65-inch TV. And so we, we begin to play these games in our mind. That somehow God has called me to have. And we stare at the 32-inch TV and waste kingdom hours on it just as much as we would have at the 65-inch TV. It's not the stuff, everybody. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus said it's the root of all evil. is the love of money. It's a matter of the heart. It's not the stuff. It's can we leverage the stuff for the kingdom or is the stuff controlling us? Can we leverage everything that we have? Can we leverage everything? Buy the 80-inch TV, have a Monday Night Football small group, and get everybody saved. All right, everybody? Like, it's not about the stuff. It's about the matter of the heart. Where is your heart placed? Where's your treasure at? Is it in the stuff? Somebody, I just woke a couple of guys up there, right? They're looking, a couple of husbands are looking at their wives like, it's for Jesus. It's... (laughs) Just trying to help you out a little bit today. Because reality of too many of us, Christians included, are allowing our stomach to be our God. 
Allowing our stomach to be our God. Eating food is not what Jesus said. That's not the sin. It's when we become gluttonous. When we let food drive our decisions and food take over our lives. It's not the things. The things are just physical. They're just inanimate objects. But it's our heart. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's your treasure. It's where you place your heart. Is it eternal things or is it in stuff? Are we just striving after stuff just so we can accumulate all this stuff that's going to burn anyways? It's about the heart. Because Jesus promised in this world you will have trouble. Listen to me, everybody. If you put your faith and your trust in the stuff, if you put your faith and your trust in this world, this world will burn you. It will bite you bad. Because Jesus said you're in this world you will have trouble. There's a bunch of trouble coming your way. And so if you put all your faith in it, if your faith is in relationships of this world, if your faith is in the stuff and accumulating of this world, when things don't go right, Suddenly you're filled with all of this disappointment and depression. And suddenly all of this, this anxiety and this full of pain and all this comes into your life because somehow it didn't work out the, thought, the way you thought it should. The earth didn't fix your problems. And the devil knows this and so he comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. That if he ever comes and you put all your faith into something earthly, he can wipe that away in a second. And suddenly all the things you put your trust in are gone. If you put your faith in the world, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we fix our eyes. That's us. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. So we don't put our eyes on what we can see around us. We don't put our trust in the things of this earth. We don't put our hope in anything that's not going to last anyway. But he says, we fix our eyes on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. If you're taking extra notes, underline that word temporary. That these things that we see with our eyes are temporary. And I just want to remind you this morning that it's temporary. The anxiety and the strife and the distrust, it's temporary. The political drama and theater, it's temporary. The relational dysfunction, all of these things in our lives, it's temporary. The pain that you feel in your heart, it's temporary. Issues that separate us from other people, all these things, it's temporary. Maybe a loved one that passed on before their time. These moments, if we could see it in light of eternity... If we could see it in light of eternity, it's just moments that we're apart, that where we're headed. We can't get our eyes focused on where we are, everybody. It's about where we're going, that our citizenship is in heaven, and that we eagerly await a Savior for there, that these moments, these things are temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What we can see with our eyes is temporary. It's just this life that we're living. It's what we're passing through with all of its dysfunction, all of its pain, all of its moments. But if we could just fix our eyes on what's to come, we fix our eyes on the eternal. We have to get our focus on that reality because the truth is the devil is coming to attack and to paralyze our lives, to make us ineffective for the kingdom. To attack us, to keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing in this life with our eyes focused on the next. And the only way we get out of that attack, the only way we escape that is fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're realizing this life is not about this life. And when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. What an incredible day that will be. And so we begin to live our life differently here on the earth. We'd refocus our energy. And you ask, well, what would we refocus our energy on? It would be on the only thing that actually lasts anyways. And second thing, jot it down, it'd be people. That we would begin to reach people. People are the only thing that pass from this life to the next. These souls that we can reach for the kingdom of heaven, we need to reach people. It's why we're doing everything that we can to rescue God's lost kids. 
that we're doing everything that we can to reach out to those who are lost, that we know and we understand as a church that there are thousands of our coworkers and our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends who are headed to a Christless eternity. And that's not why Jesus came, that they would all perish. Jesus didn't come so that they would all go to hell. He came to save them. And so our message needs to be not that God came to make them guilty. Jesus didn't come to make them guilty. He came to set them free. And that needs to be our message to those around us. And I got about one person excited about that today. All right, everybody. But that needs to be our message to the lost of this world. That we need to begin to refocus our energies to reach people. That we need to begin that there are thousands who are waiting on the other side of our obedience. Who are waiting to hear. The Bible says, how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear if no one tells them? We need to be a church that begins to spread the gospel. Begins to reach out to others. That begins to say, I will leverage everything in my life to reach others for the gospel. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why we as a church realize that this life is not about us. That this part of our life, it's not about us. This life that we're living, these things, these resources that we have, it's why we're able to say Sundays aren't about us. I don't know if you know this church, if you've been through our discovery, our breakthrough plan. I don't know if you know this, but this church, this Sunday, this who we are, it's not about us. It's about the lost. That we as a church have to do everything we can. It's why we can live lives that say my life is not about me. Jesus said, if you want to be greatest, be the servant of all. My life is not about me. We're called to serve others, to love others. That's why we as Christians can actually live out the Great Commission. We can do what Jesus asked us to do because we've recognized it's not about us. That I can love others. I can spend my time serving others. I can lift others, not thinking of myself as more than them, but thinking of them as more than me. That I can be the servant of all. Listen to me, church, that I can be taken advantage of. That I can turn the other cheek. That I can go with the one who conscripts me to go one mile, I can go with him too. There's a reason that we can do that. It's because we are sons of the king and sons and daughters of the high king. We are sons and daughters of God. It should be an example of who God is. That should be our life. That we don't spend all of our time being abrasive and prideful. That we don't spend every waking moment pushing people away when it's our job to bring them into the kingdom. That we can spend every moment not having our own cause justified and our own voice heard. Our own pride put on display. That's not who we are. That we as a church are called to reach the lost with everything that we've got. With everything that we are a part of. That really the only thing that will last for eternity. That we are children of God in a crooked generation. That we need to shine. And I think for too long, we've looked too much like the world. For too long, our eyes have been on the wrong things. For too long, our focus has been in every direction but the way it should be. And we need to be children of God to make a difference. We refocus our energy on the things that last forever, that we would reach people. I love Revelation chapter 22. It's the last chapter of your Bible. One of the last verses of it is really the heart of God. And it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And then it says, and the one who is thirsty, when he hears that, when the one who is thirsty hears the call of God and the call of the church to come, let him come and take freely from the water of life. 
that the Spirit and the Bride, God and the church, we are saying, come, this should be our mission to say, come, that those who are hurting and those who are far off and those who have run so far from God can hear that call and to come. Because the days are short. None of us have the time that we think we have. And so our eyes can't be on this earth around us. Our eyes have to be on eternity. And so we cry out, come, listen to me. If you're new to victory, or if you're watching online today, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, I just want you to know the invitation is there to come. You can come with all of your addictions, with all of your issues, with all of your problems. You can just come. That if you're struggling with those things, I just want you to invite you to come, that this is a church for you. That I want to invite you to come. Don't let anything keep you away. None of us are better than you. All of us came from somewhere. All of us are coming. We just got here maybe a little bit before you, but this is a spiritual hospital. And all of us are being ministered to by Christ. All of us have problems and issues. And it is the height of religious arrogance to push someone away because they struggle with something different than we do. And so I don't care if you believe all of it yet, just come. I don't care what problems you carry with you, just come. I don't care how broken you think that you are, just come. And you'll experience the presence of God. You'll experience this living water that he has. You'll experience salvation in Jesus. That he wants you. That he calls you, that he draws you, and that he can heal you. You don't have to get it together to get to God. You get to God to get it together, church. So come. That should be our mission. That should be the call of our heart as we go out into this world. As we shine as lights, knowing that we're just passing through. Knowing our citizenship isn't anywhere on this earth, but it's in heaven. That should be our call to come. To everyone that we meet, to everyone we come in contact with, everyone that is within our sphere, because we recognize that every interaction is a person and people are the heart of God. That He loves them. And that we as a church should love them too. That's the call that we have. We live in anticipation of the earth that is and the heaven that is to come, of eternity. Are we making an impact? Our last point, I want to start with the scripture in Second Peter. In chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But in keeping with his promise, this promise that we have, in keeping with that, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is what we talked about. In keeping with his promise, focusing on what Jesus has told us, we keep our eyes on the new heaven and the new earth. We keep our eyes. We live with this focus. We live with this anticipation. We're looking forward to this. So then, dear friends, because we have that anticipation, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. The Bible says because we're looking forward to this, because we have that anticipation, because we're living our lives not with our eyes down and around us, but living our eyes with a focus on eternity, then how should we live our lives? We live them spotless and pure, blameless, and at peace with God. Listen to me, church. I want everyone in the room, if you're watching online, to hear me when I say this. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this alone. It's why Jesus came. You cannot clean your guilt. You cannot clean your shame. You cannot cleanse your heart from its sin. 
You cannot live at peace with God on your own. It's why Jesus came. It's why 2,000 years ago he stepped on the scene to die in our place, to build a bridge back to God, to tear down the wall of dividing hostility, not only between Jew and Greek, but between man and God, that he has called us and that he has made peace. The Bible says that he is our peace. That he is called us. We cannot do this on our own. Some of you are far from God today. You desperately need to know that Jesus didn't come to make you guilty. He came to set you free. He came to make your life new. He came to bring you back to God. That in your heart and in your sins, he can cleanse you of that. That he is the answer. Kirby preached it two weeks ago that we cannot clean ourselves. All your washing will not work. All the steps you think you can take, they will not work. Nothing will work apart from Jesus. And so as we live with anticipation that our Savior will return, we can live at peace with God, knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sins. That he carried them to Calvary. That he died and then he rose three days later. That anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That is the hope that we have. And so we live with that hope And we live with that anticipation of a Savior who is to come. That God is at work within us. That all the washing and all the cleaning, and you look through the scriptures, all of these things that we try to do, they don't work. All of the washing we try to do under our own power, it doesn't work. But it's Jesus who made the sacrifice for us. Jesus who cleansed us. And the Bible says that God is at work within us to both will and to work his good pleasure. To give us the power to do that. And so the final point today, none of this is possible unless we renew our relationship with him. So this week, church, it's important that we refocus our energy. It's important that we reach people. But above all of that, it's important that we know where we stand with our God. Because we can't look forward with anticipation. We can't focus our eyes on eternity unless we get our hearts right with our Savior. That's where all of this stems from. This is where real life change happens. I told you it's an issue of the heart. The way you fix your heart is you give it to Jesus. The way that you begin to live out these steps and begin to focus on eternity is you follow him. That we don't have the God nature inside of us without the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the only way that the Holy Spirit comes to live is if we sacrifice and if we give our lives to him, we give control of our life over and we recognize the sacrifice that Jesus made. So as we begin to live this week, if we want a life that shines in the world around us, if we want to make a difference for eternity, if we really want to make a change, we have to get close to Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed today. Even those who are watching live online, if you're here today, man, I just want to help you get things right. If you're listening today and you're here and you're saying, I feel far from God today, I want you to know there's no reason for another moment to pass without knowing exactly where your eternity lies. You shouldn't have to make a moment past this message without knowing with assurance where you will spend eternity. Knowing with assurance that our eyes are on heaven and that we are waiting as one church, as the bride, waiting for our Savior to return. I want you to know if you are far from God today and you have questions in your heart, I want you to know that's natural. 
All of us have questions. All of us have this longing for something maybe we don't understand. This idea of what is there after this life? And is there a God? And you have those questions. I want you to know God put eternity into the hearts of man. He puts eternity into each and every heart. These questions about eternity. These questions of what is after this life. And he did it so that we would seek him and call out to him. That we would cry out to him. That we would return to him. He put that longing into your heart. And so I want you to know if you are seeking, if you are searching, if you do have questions, that Jesus is the answer. And I don't care what you may have heard in another church service or what you may have heard from someone who called themselves a Christian or what you may have heard about God. I want you to know that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine and that he wants you. That God is drawing you, that the spirit and the bride say, come. That we as a church say, come. That Jesus is drawing you, he says, come. That he loves you. And so if that's you today, if you say, I really don't understand everything yet, but I know that I want God to save my life. I believe that Jesus died for me and so I want to give him my life. I want to surrender. I want to know that my eternity is secure and salvation in him. If you want to be assured of that today, I want to pray with you. I want to settle this before we go. And so if that's you, I want you to know I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. This isn't about embarrassing you. This moment is about introducing you to Jesus. And so we're going to pray a prayer. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. We're going to pray a prayer and the whole church will pray with you. Nobody prays alone. And if that's you today, I want you to say these words, but I want you to mean them in your heart. Only you can surrender control of your life over. Only you can make that decision. Only you can lay it down at the altar and say, Jesus, I don't want to live my own way anymore. I want to surrender to you. do that right now. Come on, if you're in this room or you're watching online, I want to pray with you. Church, let's pray. Just say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me. I repent of my sins. I repent of my mistakes. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. God, we thank you for every person in this church. We thank you for the opportunities that we have, God. All of the opportunities you bring into our lives to leverage everything we have for the kingdom. We thank you for the people that you're orchestrating to bring into our lives this week. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities and the the chances that you're bringing into our lives this week, God. To make a difference for the kingdom. Lord, help us to always live our lives with a focus on eternity. To recognize this life is not about us. To recognize that our eyes should be fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, at the end of it all, we pray, give us the strength to endure. Give us the strength, Father, to follow after you. Give us the strength to fix our eyes on the life to come. To not get bogged down by the things of this earth but to recognize what really matters in this life. We thank you for these opportunities. We thank you, Lord, for the strength you give us. 
to live out every day for you. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Church, give me just a moment before you go. Let's give a hand for what God has done today. Two quick things before you go. If you prayed that prayer today, we would love to talk with you. We have baptisms next week. That's the next step. I'd love to talk it over with you. I'll be at the front of this stage after service today if you'd like to talk about your next step. If you're watching online or you feel more comfortable, you can text the word SAVED to 66599. I filmed a short video for you just to introduce those steps. It's not a marketing plan. It's nothing like that. We just want to share with you what your next steps in Christ are. So I encourage you to do that. Or if you'd like to talk with me, I'll be here. So excited for the decision that you've made. The rest of you, you're dismissed. Be blessed as you go. We'll see you next Sunday.